diplomacy, or deception. The Council of Neutral Systems speaks for over 1,500 worlds who want to stay out of the war. But rumors have reached the Republic Senate, suggesting that the Council's new leader, Duchess Satine of Mandalore, is secretly building her own army to fight for the Separatist cause. Now, Jedi Master Obi-Wan Kenobi has been sent to Mandalore to discover the truth behind these claims. Tigar, welcome to the 72nd Death Watch Defined episode of Mandovision. Nargai Tom, and thank you so much for checking out this small, independent Star Wars podcast. Remember, the best way to reach out to us is via social media at Mando underscore Vision on Twitter and Instagram. You can email the show, MandovisionTom at gmail.com. Please be sure to like, subscribe, and share the show with all the other Mandalorians in your covert, and if possible or so inclined, please give us those sweet, sweet five-star reviews. They are what help small shows like us stand out, not get lost in the shuffle, and defy the algorithm, which, trust me, we all need to defy the algorithm. It's it's a terrible, terrible algorithm. We need a new one. Let's make it happen. Let's do it. All right, I'm so excited for this episode. You know, this was one of those ones I, I, I had earmarked long ago that when, 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 when the decision was made to go back and do Star Wars The Clone Wars as a rewatch... Uh, for the Mandalorian podcast, for the Mandovision podcast, you want to get to the you want to get to the Mandalorian plot. You want to get to like this, these next three episodes in, in the in the middle of season two that are just so uh, complex and interesting. But at the time they came out, very controversial. A lot of a lot of fans of the expanded universe were not happy when it was announced that, that uh, Dave Filoni and his team, George Lucas and Dave Filoni together, actually. Uh, made it uh, made it known that they were doing something with Mandalore, and it was going to change what what had been going on with Mandalore in the expanded universe. And you know, a lot of people were fans of that expanded universe Mandalore canon, what we thought was canon at the time, that Mandalore lore, if you will. The Mandalore does that make more sense? Is that funnier? I don't know. <laughs> but you know, and I was I was one of those people. I was upset because I loved. What was being introduced in the books and in the in the video games and the comics, I loved all the stuff we were getting about Mandalore. Uh, so so some people were upset, and and um, you know they did something very different with this episode, introducing uh, Mandalore at a very different place in their history than than the stories, than the, than the legends would would uh, would have us believe about about them as a people. And so, I think that ruffles some feathers of of us older fans. For, for a little bit, um, but as you know, much as as th- this statement goes for the Clone Wars in general, but as that sh- as the Clone Wars went on, as the show got better and better, season after season, uh, I think we all came willingly to uh, embrace this aspect of Mandalore, uh, this 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 uh, again unique vision of Mandalore during the Clone Wars. Uh, we we we, br- we embraced it. We brought it in for a great hug. 
and uh, we just haven't let go. Because, uh, yeah, it, it's, I mean, again, this show is canon. Like, if you want to uh, bellyache about the old Expanded Universe canon being thrown out, I mean, I understand I'm with you on a lot of it. Uh, but what they did, honestly, wasn't all that different than what writers like Karen Travis were bringing to the table. Yes, you were being introduced to a Mandalore during a, a peaceful period where they were not the warrior culture that we were sort of uh, um, led to believe they were throughout their history. That's still part of it, though. This is just, you know, Mandalore trying something new after the Mandalorian Civil Wars. And, and uh, so you, you could still work around a lot, of the, a lot of the old Expanded Universe stuff into the Clone Wars canon, into the main Star Wars canon, the official Star Wars canon. And I think that's uh, an exciting possibility that, that we're getting to see, you know, slowly but surely, we've talked about it before in the podcast, they are slowly but surely bringing back old bits of, of the good stuff, of the old Expanded Universe canon that was good and fan-favorite stuff. We're seeing that being reincorporated in the first two seasons of The Mandalorian. And I wouldn't be shocked if we get to see even more of that brought back and reintroduced in uh, the book of Boba Fett, particularly uh, when it comes to some of the events that we were going to talk about, some of the things that we were going to talk about in these next couple of episodes uh, relating to Death Watch, relating to comments made about Jango Fett. And, and again, we're going to start with that one pretty soon. But So it's, it's, it's a really exciting time to, to re-examine all of the episodes involving Mandalore because we are getting so much more new information from Book of Boba Fett coming up and in the first two seasons of The Mandalorian. It helps us to go back and, and look at these episodes and, and recontextualize them and and take what we know now and, and, and look at it, look, go back to the past with what we have now and, and examine that more fully. And that's, that's what I'm hoping we can do on these next bunch of episodes. Now, I, I will say... Uh, for for long-time listeners out there, uh, we're going to get into some stuff that I talked about a little, a little bit about on a Bantha Tracks episode, on Bantha Tracks Volume 3. That was an episode of the show that came out right after uh, uh, the tragedy. Uh, I think it was, I think that's Chapter 14 in, in Season 2 of The Mandalorian. That's the one that reintroduces Boba Fett. That's the one where Boba tracks down Din Djarin, gets his armor back. And, and we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about that. Um, but I go into a lot of detail in that particular episode. And we, we, we try to contextualize that with elements from this first episode, The Mandalore Plot. So if you want to revisit that episode, uh, for new or old listeners, by all means, go check it out. Uh, like I said, it's, it's uh, oh, the episode number, it eludes me. But it is The Bantha Tracks Volume 3. And again, it takes place, uh, it, it, it was dropped right right after the uh, the tragedy episode, which I believe is chapter 14 of season two of The Mandalorian. So find it right there. Go back to like December. It should be right in that mix. Maybe maybe it was late November. No, I think it was December. I think it was December. <laughs> so we'll talk a little bit about that. I'm going to try not to go too far down that rabbit hole and repeat myself over and over again. Uh, because like I said, I did talk a bit about that on that episode, but we will still talk about stuff. Because, you know, all mechs in this, and we have to talk about Almec. We have to. It's one of the rules. All right. I've talked enough without even talking about the episode itself. Let's get into it. This is the Mandalore plot. Season 2, episode 12. Original air date, January 29th, 2010. Holy smokes. 11 years old. Well over 11 years old at this point. But let's get into it. Let's do it right now. You know what you have to do. The only requirement for this podcast. Strap on your buckets. Let's go. Mandalore would never turn against the Republic. The Duchess Satine values peace more than her own life. 
Oh, I'm aware of the Duchess's views. Master Kenobi, Mandalore's violent past is behind us. All of our warriors were exiled to our moon, Concordia. They died out years ago. Hmm. Are you certain? I recently encountered a man who wore Mandalorian armor. Jango Fett. Jango Fett was a common bounty hunter. How he acquired that armor is beyond me. All right, as we said, The Mandalore Plot, Season 2, Episode 12, January 29th, 2010, the original air date for this episode. Our plot this week is, firmly opposed to the war, Duchess Satine of Mandalore heads the Council of Neutral Systems. Obi-Wan Kenobi investigates rumors of the resurgence of the so-called Death Watch on her planet. That's very, very accurate of what we got in this episode. Um, uh, our, our, excuse me, my goodness. Our director this week, Kyle Dunleavy, written by Melinda Sue Taylor, with Drew Z. Greenberg once again as our supervising writer. And the cast for this week, and what a cast it is. Anna Graves is Satine Kreese, James Arnold Taylor's Obi-Wan Kenobi, Corey Burton, Count Dooku, Warrior One, and the Mandalorian Bomber, John Favreau. That's right, that John Favreau of the Mandalorian fame is a Mandalorian warrior. He is pre-Vizsla in this episode. And uh, John's first, uh, I believe this is his first entry into Star Wars. So a, a, a sort of a landmark event, if you if you want to really uh, see when, when Favreau first got introduced uh, to, to Star Wars The Clone Wars. Probably introduced to Dave Filoni at the same time. We have Julian Holloway as Prime Minister Almec. Greg Proops as Tal Merrick. Matt Lanter is Anakin Skywalker and a Mandalorian guard. And, of course, Tom Kane back as our narrator. So, yeah, this is a good one. We started, you heard the clip right there, Obi-Wan and Prime Minister Almec discussing uh, the current state of Mandalore politics, the, 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 the peaceful nature of the Mandalorian people at this point in their history. They're trying something new. They're trying to be pacifists. They're trying to stay out of conflict. Uh, because, you know, when, you, when Obi-Wan comes to Mandalore, and again, that, that shot... Uh, when he arrives in the system uh, with his ship, with his Jedi Starfighter in the, in the hyperdrive ring, uh, you see Concordia. You see the moon of Concordia, the one that Almec references in the, in the shot. So you know it's going to play into the episode. You know it's going to have something to do with what we're doing. And I like the way they sort of frame that, the way they, they sort of point to that right away. Like, here's Mandalore, there's Concordia, get ready, it's all going to happen. And again, Concordia, a piece of old lore that they did fit into, into the new canon. So... Again, the people who, if anyone still has a grudge against what happened to the old expanded universe canon, uh, in regards to Mandalore, you know, you got to give them a lot, a lot of effort. Uh, the, uh, you got to give them credit for making an effort to uh, find ways to bring some of it in that worked for the stories they wanted to tell with it. Uh, and as again, as you see Obi Wan fly down in his starfighter, and you see Mandalore is is uh, desolate. It's it's bombed out. It is a, a, a planet uh, that Civil Wars destroyed it, that ripped its, its people apart, ripped its planet apart. And, and so uh, Duchess Satine and, and, and her, her, her movement, her pacifist movement, uh, got a lot of attra- attention from people, became popular because people were sick of the war, sick of fighting. So again, very different. It was controversial at the time. Now I just watch it and I'm like, you know, I don't know why I kind of uh, bumped up against this in the, in before other than being just sort of stubborn about wanting Star, the Star Wars that I already had um, and, and not embracing the new, the new, not embracing the new, which I think we all need to do nowadays. Uh, but again, I watch it now and, and I don't see why I did that. And, and, I, I could, and also because I have fully embraced the new at, at a certain point. 
I think it was around season three that I really began to embrace the show. And uh, this, these three episodes coming up that we're, about, we're discussing today, the Mandalore plot and, and the next two, uh, were really big episodes in getting me kind of over the hump with this series. And, and that, that's why I'm really, really excited to talk about it with you all today. It's going to be a lot, a lot of fun. Uh, I didn't say it before. I do have to get to our, our Jedi Fortune Cookie this episode. If you ignore the past, you jeopardize the future. And I think that has a lot of meaning for this episode, obviously in regards to Mandalore's past and Mandalore's future, uh, but also Obi-Wan and Duchess Satine's past and their future moving forward, because one of the big highlights of this episode is getting to explore Obi-Wan's past as, as a young Jedi Knight uh, out in the galaxy, possibly for the first time, possibly on a Padawan-level adventure. I think it's a knight. I think it's a knight. I think that's what Satine kind of says when she re- comes into the room right after that scene with Almec. Calls her his, uh, her his, her uh, shining Jedi Knight, I do believe, and and again, really, really interesting stuff with that, and it's good, good stuff. So you get this hint of a past with Obi Wan and with Duchess Satine, and you sort of have to wonder, like, oh, what is their past? What, what do we get to? And you you realize that that there's something important happened with them. Uh, this episode sort of downplays the romance angle that we will get more introduced to next week uh, but there are hints of it here there the you can tell there's a some, something there a connection there uh, but they each chose their duty over each other and again to be explored later on this is a big big thread throughout the rest of the series you know not in not only in this season but in the rest of the show so so we have to pay attention to what's going on in this one a lot and again, I, I, I mention these things too because it's an interesting contrast between Anakin and Padme, who, while they are all about doing their duty, they did not put their feelings aside. They did not table love for the sake of duty. They're, they're, they are trying to make it work on both sides with, uh, with you know, ups and, up and down success. You know, it's not, it's not a home run for them. They still struggle with that balance. We've seen that in prior episodes. You know, whenever Anakin has free time, Padme seems to be busy at the Senate, and vice versa. So they struggle with that. And again, again I, I really like the contrast of Obi-Wan and Duchess Satine as, as these characters who, you know, whatever feelings they had for each other, they ultimately decided they, could, they couldn't follow through with it because they had, they had things to do. They had their duty. You know, Satine to, to Mandalore, to the people of Mandalore, and Obi-Wan, his, his, his uh, oath to the Jedi Order. Uh, so again, we'll discuss that more in the next episode, but you, you see those hints here. And again, I love that contrast between Obi-Wan and Anakin, sort of a, an interesting way to, uh, compare those characters who have so many similarities, but have made so many vastly different choices in their, in their lives. And yeah, interesting stuff. Again, I don't want to go down the rabbit hole, uh, on Prime Minister Almec on this episode of the show, but we do have to take what he says into consideration with what we know now from season two of The Mandalorian, from that episode, The Tragedy, where Boba Fett shows Din Djarin the chain code, the, the sort of uh, possession of, of the history of the possession of that armor, and and uh, how the Arabesh, when translated by fans online, indicated that Django had a, a, a master of his own, a Jaster Mural, another character from the old continuity that's being brought back as a reference point that indicates to us that Jango Fett was, in fact, a Mandalorian at some point in his life. Whether he was excommunicated or, or thrown out of the, the group, or, you know, there's a history there that we don't know yet. That's very, very interesting. Uh, and this, 
this that news from the Mandalorian exposes Almec as an unreliable narrator. Uh, he's there. He has a point of view. We don't know what it is. We don't know what he knows. But it's 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 fair to make an assumption that he knows more about Jango Fett than he is letting on. And whether that is because they were enemies in the Mandalorian uh, Civil War, or perhaps Almec and he have a, even even a more even personal history, an even more personal history, is is something to consider uh, when weighing that information from the Mandalorian versus this episode of the Clone Wars. I hope we will get more information about Django. Django information has been hard to come by over the years because there's not a lot of stories being told about Django at the moment, and it'll be again it'll be interesting to explore that more fully, possibly via flashbacks in the book of Boba Fett. You know. Why not bring uh, Daniel Logan back as a young Boba, or perhaps as a young Django, and show us the time before, you know, during the Mandalorian uh, Civil War? How interesting would that be? Uh, who knows? You know, there, there's some fun things to do. It's fun possibilities too. But again, we established that Almec is not to be trusted. We can't believe what he says now because of what Boba Fett tells us in the Mandalorian. So very interesting stuff here. There's a lot of uh, probably. Again, history, but also sort of like like some some sort of like politics involved. Where like Jango Fett is sort of like the Mandalorian black sheep. You know, whether he's excommunicated or whatever it is, uh, he is uh, just an exile. Perhaps uh, they no longer consider him part of that society. And Jango, for his part, makes no 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 appeal to be part of that society. He doesn't teach his son the ways of the Mandalore. You know, as as Boba Fett has told us, he is just a simple man trying to make his way through the galaxy. When when Django dies, Boba Fett does not go back to the Mandalorian people. He does not go back to them for help. He he, he is going to avenge his father's death. He's going to be a bounty hunter. He's going to take on his father's legacy. So their role is very very interesting uh, compared to the Mandalorian society. And and how does that what what is that connection there? What is that history? There's more to it than we know so far. I think we will get to explore that. I think we will get to explore that down the road with the book of Boba Fett and and possibly even season three of the Mandalorian when that comes around. The last thing I want to say on this topic uh, is that it is it is known it is known that George Lucas originally did not want Jango Fett and Boba Fett to be Mandalorians. He he's been on the record saying they're not Mandalorians. Uh, John Favreau and Dave Filoni have obviously decided to uh, spin that a little bit and play with that a little bit and and add some more texture to that. Like perhaps again, like just like like we just talked about Jango and Boba Fett not actively part of Mandalorian society. But there may be a reason why they are. They're, they're providing a little bit more depth, a little bit more of, of a complex answer to George Lucas's statement that they're not Mandalorians. Like, they're going to give them a reason why they're not considered Mandalorians. And again, we speculate on this podcast, perhaps because of his interactions with Din Djarin, at some point, Boba will go back to the Mandalorians and, and rediscover a connection to his people. That doesn't seem likely with the way the season ended. That's for sure. But we'll, again, that's for another podcast. That's for another show. So that's all I'm going to say about that. Let's get back to the rest of this episode. I want to play a scene right now from uh, early in the episode, shortly after Kenobi and Satine reconnect. You know, they're talking about the army. Uh, I, 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 want to, I want to play this one little tidbit of the episode and, and, and see what you all think of this one. It's so good to see you again, Obi-Wan, despite these circumstances. Your peaceful ways have paid off. Mandalore has prospered since the last time I was here. Not everyone on Mandalore believes that our commitment to peace is a sign of progress. The first reference to their past adventures, Obi-Wan 
has been on Mandalore before. He sees the changes that Satine has brought, and I, I find that interesting, and I want, I want to see that adventure brought to life. There is a group that calls itself Death Watch. I imagine these are the renegades you're looking for. They idolize violence and the warrior ways of the past. There are those among us, certain officials, who are working to root out these criminals. It has been an ongoing investigation. How widespread is this Death Watch movement? It's hardly a movement. It's a small group of hooligans who choose to vandalize public places, nothing more. We shall soon have them in custody. We have tracked them down to our moon, Concordia. I hope you're right, Duchess. So that's the second time, very early in the episode, we hear about Concordia. You know, Elmec tells Obi-Wan that the warriors were exiled to Concordia. They've died out a long time ago. But now we find out that Satine's people have tracked Death Watch to Concordia. I feel like Obi-Wan is picking up on a thread here. Uh, and that, that as they prepare to go to Concordia, uh, he's expecting there to be trouble. Because, again, you have all this information that Concordia is where the warriors are. That's where Death Watch is. Be prepared, right? It's very, very interesting uh, way that they go about doing things. Another piece of information I wanted to talk about was uh, if you look at the design of Mandalore, like when Obi Wan's walking in the hallway and he's in the chamber uh, with, uh, with 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 Duchess Satine and her. Uh, oh my gosh, I want to say <laughs> I was going to say crew, but that's not right. With with all her attaches and assistants, uh, notice the design on of the of the of the background stuff, the the architecture on the walls and in the in the glass. There is a, a, a very familiar design. It's almost like a diamond-shaped uh, area that is a lot of the architecture that they use in this episode. It is also the centerpiece uh, in Boba Fett's chest plate, and it is uh, referred to as uh, the heart of Beskar. And, and uh, an interesting uh, design choice uh, by, by the team on the Clone Wars. Is that an homage to Boba's chest plate in particular, or is it simply, uh, is it simply, well, is it simply a connection to, to Boba Fett? Or is it more complicated? Is there more to it? Is there a reason why Boba Fett has that as part of his armor design? You know, that's the thing that you want to, that you kind of want to explore a little bit more, get a little more information about. But I, I do sort of think that it, it's, it's an ode to the Fets. Oh, and that design element does have a name, the, uh, the Karata. Beskar, which is heart of Beskar, as, as we said. So that's an interesting piece of, of information right there. All right, so now we're going to change locations. We're going to go to Concordia, where we're going to see uh, a Mandalorian warrior. Very familiar armor. We all love this armor. We all get excited to see this armor. Having a conversation, a hollow conversation, with Count Dooku. I think we all knew that Count Dooku was in on this, right? Oh, by the way, real quick before I play this scene... Uh, there's there's that bit where when Obi Wan is first meeting with Satine in her chambers, uh, or in the in that public chamber, I should say, the one where everyone can kind of see what's going on. Um, he plays a hollow recording of a Mandalorian warrior attacking a Republic uh, freighter. I want to watch that episode. Where is that episode at? <laughs> like I'd love to see them having to deal with a a, a lone Mandalorian warrior as a, as an episode. We'll get, we'll get stuff like that down the road. But I thought it was an interesting uh, way to sort of bring back. You know, you reference something that we hadn't seen yet. That's something that the Clone Wars very is very very good at doing as a, as a series. So let's go ahead and play that scene with Dooku, and as we will learn later, Pre Vizsla. 
I do not understand why the arrival of this Jedi doesn't upset you. You promised to support the Death Watch forces so we could overthrow the Duchess Satine and her weak, peace-loving government. And I intend to keep my promise. But how? If the Republic interferes now, Death Watch will not be able to take over the planet. Consider, once the Senate orders peacekeeping troops to Mandalore, the people will be surrounded by a military presence most distasteful. They will rebel. And rally to Death Watch. Our insurgency will grow stronger. Yes, and Duchess Satine shall fall. Well, boom, there you go. That's the plan for Death Watch and Count Dooku. Dooku, again, trying to destabilize more governments, more planets, make them come to the side of the Separatists. We didn't talk about Satine's role as the leader of the Council of Neutral Systems. Uh, another aspect of the Clone Wars that I think needs to be explored a little bit more fully, and I'm, I'm glad. It's an interesting choice, to, again, to have Mandalore, a, a, a people that we, uh, fans of the Expanded Universe, had always been led to believe was, was a, a, a warrior culture, a warrior a war, a war-based people. Uh, so to have them uh, be the leaders of the Council of Neutral Systems, not getting involved in the wars, uh, I think is a really interesting choice, and, and ended up being uh, a really fun decision to, to, again, to show us Mandalore in a different light and let us meet these people for the first time in the in the Star Wars lore, uh, with a different perspective than we thought we were going to get from them. You know, again, so many of us older fans thought we were going to meet this warrior people, and instead we find them in this, in this era of peace and pacifism. Uh, so it's, it's, it's again, I'm going to use the word contrast. It's such a contrast to what we thought we knew of the Mandalorian people. And I thought, I thought they did a really good job. Again, I look back on these episodes very, very fondly as, as sort of the turning point for me just really, really embracing this series. So I dig that so, so very, very much. And uh, I, I should mention also uh, another piece of Expanded Universe uh, uh, lore was that the Mandalorians were th one of the big players in the Clone Wars. You know, that was sort of like the big uh, uh, in the in the Star Wars role playing game. That was sort of like the, what what the Clone Wars was defined as was was the Jedi versus the Mandalorians. And uh, yeah, interesting, interesting things. Obviously, that that was all wrong. We we have now been shown the way of what the Clone Wars actually is. And uh, again, different from what we thought we knew from the from the old role playing game, but still an interesting little nugget. Like like the Mandalorians had a real big uh, piece of Star Wars history written in early on in like the eighty seven eighty eight when that role playing game came out, and then uh, it turned out to be uh, not what Lucas had in mind for the actual Clone Wars themselves. But again, if you want to explore the Clone Wars, uh, the history the the timeline of the Clone Wars has shifted around quite a bit uh, from the sort of legends and, and whisperings of, of what it was, you know, during the, during the original trilogy of three, four and five, um, to, I'm sorry, <laughs> four, five and six to what it ended up being in the prequel trilogy when it was one, two and three, you know, I, I think, I think a lot of fans, a lot of, uh, the people who worked on star Wars books had it in their heads and, and probably from the direction of Lucasfilm because everything had to be approved by Lucasfilm before it was printed. Uh, was that the, the Clone Wars happened like 50 years in the past, not not 20 years in the past, as it turned out to be in the final timeline. So another little interesting uh, kernel of information to kind of keep in mind sometimes when when thinking about Star Wars, the old canon versus the new canon. Remember, the new canon is all you really need to pay attention to, but if you're old like me, uh, having sort of a working knowledge, a working understanding of the, of the old canon is uh, fun, and it sort of enriches your experience with the new canon as well. 
another little nugget we didn't discuss. When Obi-Wan is showing that hollow recording of the Mandalorian uh, storming that, that Republic freighter, uh, we find out that, that that Mandalorian chooses to kill himself rather than face questioning. And uh, we're going we're gonna to get to see more of the dedicated diehard uh, diehardness of the Death Watch uh, in just a moment when they when they commit a bombing here too. Um, and again, I don't want to go down the rabbit hole too much, and, and you know we got a lot of Mandalorian episodes to talk about. But again, it is important to pay attention to Death Watch and and sort of the way they do things, their understanding, embracing of the old warrior ways, and we have to kind of connect that to Din Djarin being raised by by cultists, basically uh, the children of the Watch. Remember that that's. That is what we find out that about him. He's not being raised by actual Mandalorians. He wasn't rescued by actual Mandalorians. He was rescued by an offshoot of Death Watch. So pay attention to that. Keep that in mind as, as we sort of process all these different elements of things. Uh, and, and again, that's focused on the Mandalorian, but it is interesting to note this is the past of that. So, so kind of pay attention to Death Watch's ideologies and, and see how much of that resonates to Din Djarin in The Mandalorian. Something, again, something just to keep in mind. All right, so let's... I want to play this sequence between Obi-Wan and Satine. Uh, they're having a bit of a debate about, about the role of a peacemaker in a, in a government, in a, in a conflict. I like this debate a lot. I think it says a lot about who they are as, uh, as, as characters, as people. Uh, but also because like, they're able to have this debate, uh, but it's, it's civil, and that is not something that is reflective in our current culture here on the planet Earth. <laughs> you know, when a lot of times when you when you have differing ideologies, differing point of views, uh, it, it turns into a shouty match. And of, of course, Obi Wan Kenobi and Duchess Satine are not going to resort to that sort of that sort of display of of uh, grossness. So I want to play this scene because I do like it a lot. Here we go. A peacekeeper belongs on the front lines of conflict. Otherwise, he wouldn't be able to do his job. The work of a peacekeeper is to make sure that conflict does not arise. Yes, a noble description, but not a realistic one. Is reality what makes a Jedi abandon his ideals? Or is it simply a response to political convenience? And there's the bombing. <laughs> so, <laughs> that, that conversation comes to an abrupt end. And uh, they're going to lock down the area. Uh, they're not going to let people leave. They want to question everyone. Uh, one suspect will take off, and Obi-Wan will pursue. And then, again, this turns into another moment where we get to see uh, who and what the Death Watch is all about uh, as this, this member of the Watch th throws himself off a building. And it's not a, it's not a long drop. Like, he hits the ground, and he's, he's still alive for a few brief moments and, and, and is able to have a bit of a conversation, uh, not a conversation, but he's able to say his dying words to, to Duchess Satine, who sort of uh, sits by his side to, I don't know, to be his last contact with a, with a living person as he passes from life to death. And again, note here, you can see in the background of this building that she's coming out of, that heart of Besker that we talked about, the, that centerpiece of Boba Fett's chest plate on his armor. And uh, yeah, I really like that. I really like the scene. I like the language that they're using here Chess, check this out. I might, be, I might be a little bit early. This is when Satine's coming down the stairs. What is he saying? 
nor me. And that's when he passes away? He was speaking in the dialect they use on Concordia. Our moon. I should like to visit this moon of yours. Perhaps I could accompany the body. The Concordian moon is a province with its own governor. You'll need me to escort you. That won't be necessary. Actually, it will. You won't make much progress without me there. Especially since you've just been involved with the death of a Concordian. I didn't kill him. I know. That's why I'm still talking to you. Boom. Alright, so they're going to make their way up to Concordia. Uh, by the way, I'm going to apologize now. This episode, we are running long already. That is on me. Uh, there's a, I probably could spread a lot of this information out across the three episodes. Uh, instead, I just gave you like a, a bomb, a Mando bomb, a Besker bomb of, of knowledge. Well, hopefully knowledge. Hopefully you you, you can... You, uh, consider it to be knowledge um so yeah we're gonna run a little bit long here today but that's okay we're all having fun and this is a really really strong episode all right now there's not a lot of, a lot of inf interesting information but i do want to allow uh pre a chance to introduce himself uh, as obi-wan and satine arrive on concordia with the body of uh, of the bomber duchess satine you are most welcome Thank you, Governor Vizsla. May I present Master Obi-Wan Kenobi, representing the Jedi Council. Governor Vizsla is one of the officials I spoke of. He has been working to find the members of the Death Watch. I take it you've heard the rumors about Satine, about how she's supposedly leading Mandalore into an alliance with the Separatists. My only instructions are to seek the truth. This was the man who bombed the Memorial Shrine? Yes. He was apparently part of Death Watch. A worrisome prospect. If you'll pardon me, General, you must attend to the body. Alright, this is when Obi-Wan's gonna hatch his plan. He's gonna convince Satine to cover for him with Vizsla so that he can kind of sneak off and, and do some uh, investigating on his own. And he's gonna head for the mines. He's gonna find a, uh, a Death Watch armory. He gets attacked by one Mando, and then two Mandos. And Obi-Wan gets knocked out, taken prisoner. Uh, as a prisoner, he still has his, his comms device for Satine, so he's able to make a communication with her. It leads to a uh, interesting <laughs> dinner scene. She's with Vizsla, and and uh, she's attempting to answer Obi-Wan's questions without letting uh, Vizsla know that, that she is in contact with Jedi Master Kenobi. So she's saying things in, a, in an unusual manner. I, I found the scene rather funny, uh, and... and I think you know at the same time, because uh, it, it shouldn't come as a shock at this point that Vizsla is, in fact, the leader of Death Watch who is on the communications device with with uh, with Count Dooku. So uh, she's doing this all for naught as as he's well aware of what's going on. You have to think he he got some kind of acknowledgement that like, we captured a Jedi and uh, we're going to smash him to bits in, this, in, the, in these uh, rock things. So also Obi-Wan does get his lightsaber taken away from him at this point. Yeah, so and that that becomes a recurring element for this episode. So uh, much like Ahsoka lost her her lightsaber last episode, and a Anakin lost his lightsaber uh, throughout episode two. Uh, Anakin Obi Wan gets his taken away, which is a little bit different. But we have another Jedi without a lightsaber for for a good chunk of time, uh, and it leads to some interesting scenes for Obi Wan, I think. And we'll we'll talk about those a little bit further down the road. Uh, I'm curious what you all thought about the machine, the mining equipment, the machines. Do we now look at that? Uh, and view that as as a Beskar extraction. Is that what we consider that to be? I think it's a very reasonable assumption. They never come out right and say it, but I think it makes a ton of sense, considering what we know now. 
So that's really, really, really interesting. Uh, Satine is able to make uh, she uh, uh, feigns illness and and uh, leaves dinner with Vizsla early so she can get to a, a swoop or a speeder and and make her way to the mines and so she could rescue An uh, Obi Wan before he gets smashed to bits and uh, turned into who knows what. And and she gets there and turns off the machine. They fight some Mandos and it's a lot of fun. This is when the action starts to crank up in the episode and. Uh, um, our heroes are going to make their way back to the surface from the mines, and that's when we find some real big uh, Mando trouble on the surface. Okay, so I'm going to play a scene for you right now. We're going to start it up. We're in the thick of the action. The Mandalorians are opening fire on the attempted escape of Obi-Wan Kenobi and Duchess Satine. you got to love the blaster effect that we're hearing. It's, it's straight out of Episode 2, Attack of the Clones. You know, the Mandalorian weapons have very distinctive sound, and I love that so, so much. But uh, a great line coming up here. Obi-Wan with a wonderful quip uh, directed right at the pacifist Duchess Satine. Let's check it out. We'll have to stand and fight. Or in your case, just stand. This is when Obi tries to spring, spring into action, only to realize that as he's going to draw his lightsaber, uh, he doesn't have his lightsaber. <laughs> Which he will get back very, very soon because, uh, yeah, <laughs> he's going to need it later. Uh, again, they open fire on him. No lightsaber, so he uses a blaster. Obi-Wan uses a blaster. And again, he you know, we we know what he says in episode three, you know, how uncivilized. And and uh but quite capable with the blaster, as you must be in the Star Wars universe. He's able to to uh grab a jetpack from the, the, the Mandalorian that he felled earlier, and he throws it up at the ones that are flying in at him, explodes it in front of him. It get that helps buy them some time. Uh but Vizla is coming for Obi-Wan. He orders the evacuation of their base. You know, Death Watch has been exposed in this location. It's time to get the heck out of there. The Jedi know the Death Watch is actually behind this and it's not the Mandalorians. But again, more to come with all of this in the further in the in the next installments of, of Star Wars the Clone Wars. Uh, but yeah, let's get to Vizsla versus Obi-Wan. They're gonna throw down and we're gonna get the first appearance the first appearance of the Darksaber. And uh Previsla is going to tell us a little bit of a story about it. And and uh, so, yeah, we're going to get a Mando with the Darksaber versus Obi-Wan Kenobi with his lightsaber because Vizsla is going to hand him back his lightsaber. Obi-Wan comes out to engage. He sees his lightsaber on this guy's hip, obviously decides he's the leader, and he's going to go out there and be Obi-Wan Kenobi, the negotiator. And, uh, the, yeah, this is a fun fight, but it's interesting to see how Vizsla wields the Darksaber. You know, he uses it as a very much a blunt instrument. Uh, as you would any other sword. There's no sort of elegance to it, the way he uses it as a Jedi would with their different fighting styles and, and their stances and, and the way they use things. Uh, he is very, again, blunt and aggressive in, with wielding the Darksaber. So, an interesting contrast. We won't play too much of the battle itself because, you know, they're like, what, what do you want to hear a battle for? You'd rather watch the battle. Hope you're watching the episode. But let's hear Vizsla introduce himself to Obi-Wan. For generations, my ancestors fought proudly as warriors against the Jedi. Now, that woman tarnishes the very name Mandalorian. Defend her, if you will. Tosses back the lightsaber to Obi-Wan. This lightsaber was stolen from your Jedi temple by my ancestors during the fall of the Old Republic. Since then, many Jedi have died upon its blade. Prepare yourself to join them. That is the Darksaber. Yeah. 
I don't. I don't really want to play the whole fight for you, but I'd love listening to the way the Dark Saber hums. It's a different sort of hum. But we see Obi Wan quite capable using the Force to throw back Vizla. And by the way, I did say he introduces himself. Vizla introduces himself, but you know, you know what I meant. Reveals himself to Obi Wan, not introduces himself. Vizla gets a, gets a punch in. Obi Wan's down. Now the Dark Saber's back in his hand. Jetpack time. Goes for the flying chop. Obi-Wan uses the force and does a great maneuver. This is a great battle. It's a lot of fun here. But Vizla does realize he's outmatched without the force as his ally. Warriors finish him! And they're all about to fire their rocket packs. Obi-Wan's gonna dance out of the way. Oh, but by the way, they follow. So <laughs> Obi-Wan has to think quickly here. They jump down the elevator shaft. Should we go after him, sir? No. There's no time. Don't worry. We'll catch up with the Duchess soon enough. Alright, so now the now our heroes are gonna make their way out. Even now? Oh. How so? I saved your life, you saved mine. Yes. Well, mine was the more daring of the two rescues. <laughs> it's funny stuff. Now Anakin arrives because he's got to arrive. But if Pre Vizsla fled, we have no way of learning how widespread Death Watch really is. It's obvious the Separatists are supporting the Death Watch. I disagree. I told you I wanted to stay out of this conflict. Given the current situation, I'm afraid that may no longer be possible. I thought you, of all people, would understand my position on this matter. I will never be a part of this war. That's an interesting perspective. We'll talk more about that in a minute. Reporting for escort duty, General. Oh, Anakin, am I glad to see you. <laughs> you sound tired. The peaceful ways of the locals wore me out a bit. Alright, and there it is. That is our episode. That is the Mandalore plot. Uh, the first installment of this trilogy of episodes. And I love it. I love it. I love it. It's What Satine says at the end of the episode is very interesting to me. Obviously, she wants to keep her people out of this conflict. Uh, but her re re rebuking the notion that the Separatists are aiding Death Watch in an attempt to destabilize the government... Um, I don't want to say it's naive, necessarily, but it's, it's, it's far too optimistic... Uh, to think that that they're that that they're not involved in in some way, and then that she can still keep her people out of the out of the conflict entirely, I think her idea is completely noble, and she sh she will do everything it takes to keep Mandalore out of the war. Uh, but there will be a cost, and that cost will be paid down the road further and further. So again, as we get into this trilogy of episodes, uh, it'll be really interesting to explore Satine's decisions. Uh, and how you know we know the the ramifications of what is coming for Mandalore, what occupation, what occupying force will come for them next, and then after that, and after that, Mandalore is in a bad run of things uh, at at this point of, of of Star Wars. When we meet them here in the Star Wars, uh, Star Wars: The Clone Wars, you know, Obi Wan says it himself. It's the the Mandalorian people seem to be thriving. They seem to be recovering from their Mandalorian civil wars, and they seem to be prospering under Duchess Duchess Satine's reign. 
But obviously, with the rise of Death Watch, there are people who do not believe in her philosophies, who do not believe in this pacifist way of life, like Previsla and many others in, in, in the Death Watch and in the other groups that want to uh, continue to embrace the warrior ways of the people. But Satine is Satine, and and this is sort of like the this is sort of like the domino falling on the Mandalorians. We just don't know it yet. But but her uh, philosophies, her ideologies, will ultimately take the Mandalorians to a bad bad place. Not all her fault. It's not her fault. I do not want to say that that she makes poor decisions. Things happen, and there is manipulation, and there is uh, outmaneuvering, and then just. There's there's a lot to look forward to. It's real, really, really exciting. And and Satine and Obi Wan have a, a wonderful arc together. They have a, a wonderful story together. And I can't wait for us to to explore more of that over the course of the series. It's going to be so much fun to to check it all out. I can't wait to revisit all of it because because I, you know I've said it before in the podcast. Some of these episodes are a tad fuzzy. Now I have watched the Mandalorian episodes probably more often than the other episodes, but still really good stuff. Love this episode. It's a it's a solid introduction to a great trilogy of episodes. So yeah, eight, uh, eight stars, eight eight buckets for me, and uh, I hope you all enjoyed this one as much as I did, and I hope you're looking forward to the next episode as much as I am because uh, yeah, these uh, ooh, I'm so tempted to release these th- next next uh, next two episodes kind of kind of get this trilogy out super super fast, <laughs> but we have to savor it. We have to enjoy it. We have to appreciate every little aspect, every little morsel, every little nugget that we get in these these. This initial Mandalorian offering in Star Wars The Clone Wars. Alright, that's enough though. I have talked about this episode ad nauseum at this point. I hope I have not bored. I hope I have entertained and uh, provided maybe a little bit of information to, for you to consider, for you to ponder. Uh, I love talking about Satine. I want to I I talk more about Satine. And we, we will definitely be talking more about Satine in the, in the future. That is a fact. And and again, she's sort of a victim of circumstance uh, with with all these these... Uh, uh, you know, powerful beings around her attempting to manipulate and, and do unspeakable things to Mandalore in order to to just destabilize her government. It's it's just uh, it's it's all just interesting. I love it so much. It's so great when when Star Wars hits that that balance of action and sci-fi and and politics. Uh, that's when it's at its most fun to me, especially in this era of the prequel trilogy. If you hit that balance right. You have some really, really great stuff, and I love it. But let's get out of here. Again, I have talked far, far too long. Thank you so much for listening to Mandovision. I love doing this podcast. I love having a great a great army of Bucketheads supporting me and, and checking us out every single episode that we drop. Remember, it's two a week. It's Star Wars The Clone Wars rewatch episodes on Monday and Star Wars The Bad Batch on Friday, a.k.a. Bad Batch Friday. So get ready for those. Two episodes a week, Bad Batch on Friday, I hope you're enjoying that show as much as I am. I hope you're not as critical of it as some people are. My goodness. Uh, the Bad Batch has gotten... They get dinged on a few episodes here and there for when they, when they kind of get away from the mythology. Uh, but they're still making solid shows. They're really enjoyable. I'm having, a, I'm having a really nice time with it. And I hope you are as well. All right, let's do it. Let's get out of here. I will talk to you all soon. Take care of each other. Nargai Tom. This is the Mandovision Podcast. You may sh- uh, please be sure to follow us on social media at Mando underscore Vision on Twitter and Instagram. You can email the show, MandoVisionTom at gmail.com. 
Remember, uh, we'd love it if you like, subscribe, and share the show with all the other Mandalorians in your covert, uh, people you have blood feuds with, people, uh, even even your uh, relatives in Death Watch. Uh, share it with them. It's a, it's a okay. And uh, if you are an Apple podcast, please take the time write us a five star review. We would truly, truly appreciate it. And uh, yeah, we are on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Google Play, Pandora, Audible, Amazon, and so many, many more. If you are a new listener, thanks for checking us out. Hope you dig the show. Hope you stick around. And for the longtime Buckethead Army, thank you so much once again. Oh, gosh. I, 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 can I thank you guys enough? I can never thank you enough. Old and new listeners alike, I'm so glad you're all here. You all know this podcast can only end one way. And this is the way. This is the way. This is the way. This is the way.